In this podcast, we're talking to Tim Boson about gender roles. Tim, first of all, just tell us why this is an area that's interesting to you. Hello, Nick. Yes, I'm I'm a semi-retired anthropologist. And of course, anthropologists are very interested in social structure. And in the UK, anthropologists have looked at what we call pre-literate societies and tried to work out how human behaviour has evolved and what it means for society and culture generally. Right. So now let's talk about gender roles. And and, and I suppose we start from the gender stereotype, if you want to call it that, of of, uh, the woman being the person who kind of looks after children, provides that kind of house and not that doesn't provide the house but provides that kind of family environment and the man going off and at one time you know killing a beast and bringing it home or you know bringing home the money or whatever that's where it starts from at least for people of my kind of age but 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 why well there is yes that you in a way you're describing the the yin and yang and as you say there's the stereotypes that's the male who's dominant and politically in control and the female who's more passive and nurturing and caring. And of course, some of that does relate to natural functions for male and female. You know, a female does give birth to the next offspring and is affected by hormones which bring about nursing and parturition and so on. So there is an element of nature in terms of its reproduction, biology, dictating how the different sexes should behave Uh, But, of course, culture has created a veneer over that. I think what's interesting, and you mentioned this about the domestic role, I think what's interesting is how often the domestic role now is seen as a form of exploitation and almost servitude, you know, the domestic drudge, as opposed to a person who's out working and engaging. And that has something, I think, to do with with economics, which we might come on to. Yeah. What, so in some ways, do you think that the that society's attitudes have taken something that's biological and kind of amplified it and and kind of tried to embed it in some way in, in society? And why is that? Yes, I think, again, it's about the perspective of evolution, isn't it? We tend to think of our little time area as being very significant and important because it, it is to us. And one would say, say, you know, uh, sex and gender is relevant to everybody. That's out to our existence. So we, we take that little cultural area here now and we think of it important. But if you if you imagine us evolving over 200,000 years as a species, then, yes, you go back and you see the initial behavior will be of hunter-gatherers. And the hunter is the male because he's not tied to the children the same way, whereas the gatherer, the female has a child, and then that child creates some immobility. You you know, if you're nursing a child, you can't be out hunting. It just doesn't work. So there's some rudiments of natural uh, evolutionary behavior, which then become more inbuilt into culture. And of course, we've seen how that can evolve uh, in terms of, say, the feminist movement and uh, female freedom. And birth control, now very controversial in America at the moment, but that relieves the female from just that, uh, if you like, naturalistic role of having children, giving birth and looking after those children. 
Yes, except that I suppose, you know, if you want children, men can't have children. So so there is still there is still something there. And, but also, why then has that not really resulted in uh, anything looking more equal by very much? I'm thinking of things like, you know, um, female board directors on, on companies, that kind of thing. Maybe things have changed a bit, but they haven't changed that much. There must be something else going on here. Well, you, you could take it, to, you can either see it as in some sense biologically determined, or you can actually see it as culturally determined. And of course, that, that creates a, a contest and gender is very contested in all sorts of ways. But if you see the reproductive element, bringing children into the world, if you see that as significant in shaping how behavior goes, then you're inevitably going to have a situation where women at some point are going to take time out to deal with children, domesticity, whatever, uh, and that will have an impact. Whereas you say, as you said, you know, men, we don't know whether we reproduce or we don't reproduce. I mean, we're engaged, obviously, in the acts of sex, but we don't actually know if that's our paternity or not. So society has created the idea of uh, marriage, which is quite artificial. And the reason we need marriage, why marriage arose, is to provide stability for the offspring. And if we take that back in evolutionary terms, what we've done as a species has made birth and growing up incredibly difficult. Um, and the reason we've made it so difficult is we want to have a premature child with a very big brain. And that brain has allowed us to develop consciousness, speech, uh, all the superiority as an animal species that humans have. The price that's been paid for that is difficult births. And in fact, in the past, of course, a very dangerous births. We've almost got used to births being okay now, but actually they're very dangerous for the female. And that's also created the fact that we have younger women having babies because they're a fitter state and, and so on. So there's a whole set of consequences that have come about by the fact that we have these big brains be conscious and we're able to communicate through language and so on. But if it was just that, uh, you could take uh, women who have not had children and probably, I'm guessing, you could you could undertake studies which show that actually they also are denied um, opportunities at work, for example, you know, if, um, if, if you leave the workplace for some time, not excusable, but it's you can see the cause and effect of actually I'm being denied opportunities at work. But but there are, you know, there are women who don't have children who probably have as well. So there must be there must be perceived things going on here. Yes. I mean, what anthropologists would say here is you've got an asymmetry between the sexes between male and female. And you could start that in a physiological way. There's a dimorphism. You know, men have more muscle, they have larger brains, they're physically different uh, compared with females. So you could say, well, that, that in the sense that start, that's a starting point, you might say. Now, what's interesting is how, uh, in terms of culture, that also translates into the very things that you were talking about, an asymmetry then in perception. It goes back to what I was saying about how nurturing has not been seen as is important in economic terms as going out, getting a job and so on. So that, that gets built into the culture. Now that can, of course, can adapt. And we've seen huge uh, opportunities and movement 
in the last century with regard to women's position in society. And you mentioned about getting into business and so on. But there's, there is always a trade-off with that. And it's quite a tricky trade-off in terms of how you manage it. You might almost say in a society where fertility and birth is incredibly important, you're bound to then put more significance into the female role. Whereas in a society now where, in a way, we're almost struggling with overpopulation, that significance is not so important. So the the emphasis is really on economic independence. And that's where we see uh, attempts to try and change that asymmetry to make things much more equal in terms of opportunities, in terms of how we proceed. What is interesting is if you look at the data over even this last century, the data suggests that the cultural attitude to turn towards the asymmetry still exists. So you will have a man and a woman in the same job, and the man usually, almost <laughs> regularly, will be paid more and will be given more social significance because he's male, not because he's doing anything better or anything. It's because of that asymmetry. Does that change over time? Can we can we learn anything from cultural shifts that have occurred in the past about whether that that sort of attitude can change over time? Oh yes, I mean we, we're you know evolution is all about adaptation. So take the you know the, the sort of absolute main thing. Once upon a time, as a species, we walked on all four all fours uh, and. And at a point when it became advantageous, those who could manage being bipedal became the dominant reproductive force. So evolution then chose people who were bipedal, even though that gives us huge biological problems, backache, uh, varicose veins, hemorrhoids. <laughs> I won't go on, it's almost too awful. But these are all the consequences of us walking on two legs. The advantages we have free hands, and we could do things. We can carry things, we can make tools, we do all sorts of things. So that's a that's an adaptation, a biological ad- adaptation. And we can do that culturally as well. We can see cultural adaptations so that uh, what is now culturally taken as a norm can be adapted. And undoubtedly, we've seen, as I say, huge social changes, which are likely to lead to that. What the, the evolutionary consequences are, well, you, you need some time to get the hindsight to see that entirely. But yes, no, yes. there is nothing to there's nothing to to limit us in terms of changing attitudes because the physical side, the biological side, is not so important. Uh, we've got a technology now, which means in terms of how we go to work or whatever, there is an, a greater equality between the sexes. Uh, whereas in the past, where there was much more physicality in whatever you did the men would have an advantage because they had greater muscle power. Is it common across all societies that that men are perceived in some way as, as dominant and, and in, I suppose one might say superior? Well, that, that's the, an interesting question. And anthropologists have looked at societies and tried to see whether they were a different sort of asymmetry, perhaps females being dominant compared with males, and what how does that all work? But... As far as we are concerned now, there is no society where the political importance of a member of that society is dominated by women rather than men. There are societies where descent and heritage is seen through the mother's side, matrilineal societies. There are societies 
which give greater emphasis to females, but none where they have a political dominance. So in terms of the species, though we, you know, we're scattered around the world, that, that element of evolution hasn't changed that much. So, uh, and I guess you could take that back, you know, again, to how uh, animal behavior, chimpanzees, our nearest cousins, how do they operate? And male chimpanzees, just like humans, have more testosterone, they have more male hormones, which make them more aggressive, more violent, uh, and physically stronger. So they, they exercise that in the same way. So that's the sort of the baseline. But as we know, you know, gender has a huge spectrum. And the spectrum today is being acknowledged in the way that we have uh, people who are, identify with the other sex. They may be born and categorized in one, and then they want to move into another sex. So there's a much greater fluidity, both in terms of how uh, the biology works, big numbers game because of the, there's so many millions of us, billions of us, but also in terms of how culturally perceived. And you and I know, in a, you know, in our lifetimes, those perceptions have changed enormously uh, in terms of how society conducts itself and it views different genders. Yes, and and at least from my perspective, but perhaps I'm wrong if we look back over a very long period, um, the, the, the idea that you might not identify with your birth sex or that you don't want to identify as a gender um, seems to be a very new thing. Is it a very new thing or ha has, has, this, has this occurred in other cultures previously? Well, it, yes. I mean, it is, again, this is relative in terms of time scale, but it's relatively new. But there are societies where, uh, Indian societies, for example, where uh, assuming a particularly male assuming a female role is, is, um, goes back centuries. And in the same way with, um, for example, native uh, Indians in America, there were often, uh, uh, again, generally men who were intermediate in terms of their sex and recognised as that. And that's partly because of the biology. If you look at the biology, the biology is technically we all start, the idea we start, as female. Um, and it takes some specific biological changes to make the male. So the, the most obvious thing is, you know, why do men have nipples? <laughs> that's why we start off as the female. So to make a male is more complicated, more complex than making a female, apart from the XY and uh, as opposed to the XX, there are, uh, as we understand it now, the influence of various hormones coming from the mother, which influence that gender. And there can be genetic defects. Things can go wrong. Uh, there's a very interesting example from uh, the Republic of Dominica, where there was a, a society there, a group, a village, where there was a defective gene in the grandmother, so that what was happening was a child was being born looking like a girl genitalia of a girl. But by the age of puberty, suddenly male genitalia appeared. And that child literally, in terms of how the culture perceived them, moved from being female to male. Now, that's a very sort of rare example. But there are examples of that happening. But I'm using that to show that actually the, uh, the male gender is, is more fragile and more difficult to affect than the female. Right. So you're more likely in transsexuals to have more uh, males identifying as as females because something has happened during that um, that uh, process of the embryo developing. Interesting. And and where do you think that then leads us in terms of our society's 
perception of of genders um uh, where i know it it's not something that anthropologists normally do wind the clock forward um but but where, where do you think things might go well i think in terms of you know we're, we're and this again goes back to how our society is based on the economics that we have and uh, power uh, political power is very much related to money and income and so on. So the economic element of that is important in terms of uh, allowing a gender the opportunity to create their, their own lifestyle and where they want to go. I, I, I think because of technology, the physical element is far less important than it was. There are dangers with this. Uh, there are dangers with trying, in a sense, to iron out uh, the, the gender differences. And the, da- the danger is you can leave certain elements behind in the sense that you identify and we all identify at some point you know whether we're male or female or whether we want to move from male to female or female to male we identify as something that's that's crucial so the the sort of social danger i'm mentioning and i don't want to exaggerate this but i can foresee issues for example in terms of uh say take uh, uneducated males uh their, their identity is very linked to their physicality, and now their power is linked to that, not necessarily to uh, economic performance, which may have come through education or what it is. So if you took a, a school, you very often see girls outperforming boys in uh, intellectual exercises and so on. So uh, the boys then rely on their physicality as their, their identity. Now, that can be very fragile and we're in a danger, I think, sometimes of having a, a pool of uneducated young men who then feel ignored by society. There's a very interesting element we find in quite a few pre-literate societies. And this is that males, to be a male, to become a man from being a boy, you have to actually be made a man by men. It's a sort of birthright, if you like, a transitional thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it's, uh, and in the same way, if you look now at... Uh, say, male gangs and how they operate, they, in a way, are part of initiation ceremony of making a male. It goes back to my original point about the danger of having um, somehow or other marginalising a group because they no longer see themselves as effective in the area they were. There are some quite nasty misogynistic groups, for example, like Incel, and you may remember the terrible shootings in Plymouth, where a, 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 a male however deranged, felt neglected, saw the problem through the fe- uh, as being the females who were dominant, shot his mum and so on. So they, there, are, there are dangers in the violence of young men um, as a way of trying to express their masculinity. I don't know if I'm putting that terribly well, but yeah. I, think, I, I think you see where I'm going with that. If you, if you deprive people of a particular role, however stereotypical it is, they then have to search for who they are, what uh, what makes them work in society. And sometimes that can be antisocial, not just social. Got it. Well, fascinating topic. And you could take this in many directions, but we'd be here for hours, wouldn't we? Um, uh, but it might be interesting in, a, in future to explore some of the conundrums around uh, not identifying with a sex or, or identifying uh, not identifying with, with your birth gender. Um, Tim, thank you very much. Food for thought. Thanks very much, Nick. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can see more of our podcasts at radioverulam.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to support our free podcasts, you can donate at radioverulam.com slash donate.